Hello, and welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills Brexit podcast, one of a series of podcasts that we are producing which focuses on the impact of Brexit on business as we get closer to Brexit date, 29 March 2019. I am Tom Henderson, a solicitor in our Disputes Division in London and currently seconded to our Brexit team to help clients with their Brexit planning work. Today, I am joined by the firm's Brexit director, Paul Butcher, who has overall responsibility for coordinating our coverage of Brexit for clients and Julie Farley, a professional support lawyer in our corporate division, who is involved in the firm's Brexit contract law working group. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing what businesses should know about the impact that Brexit may have on their existing and future contracts, which are governed by English law. Now, this isn't isn't intended to be a sector or industry-specific podcast. Instead, we're going to be focusing on some of the key issues that we've come across in helping our clients get to grips with Brexit, And these are issues which could apply to any number of different types of contract, from a trademark trademark license to an employment contract and so on and so on. The aim of our discussion is to get people thinking more broadly as to how Brexit might impact the contracts they already have in place and the new contracts that they are drafting, whatever their practice area. Before we start, there are two areas we're not going to get into in this podcast, as these are being covered in different podcasts. First, the issue of dispute resolution clauses, which was covered in our first Brexit podcast released last month, and I'd encourage everyone to listen to that. And second, the issue of bringing contracts to an end on account of Brexit, which will be covered in a future podcast that we anticipate releasing shortly. Now, Julie, if I could come to you to begin with, we know that Brexit doesn't affect the principles of English law contractual interpretation, but it may give rise to difficult questions in some contracts as to how particular terms should be interpreted. Can you expand on some of the terms that may cause difficulties? Yes, thanks, Tom. And I should just point out that in this podcast, we're looking at the legal implications of Brexit for contracts. Of course, there may be significant commercial implications arising out of Brexit, such as the impact on the price of supplies and labour, and even whether the contract can be performed at all. All of those issues may mean that the commercial bargain is very different post-Brexit to the one that the parties contemplated when entering into the contract. Um, But looking at the legal issues, as you say, there are questions about how certain terms will be interpreted post-Brexit. And two obvious examples are where a contract refers to the European Union or the EU and where a contract refers to EU legislation. Starting with references to the EU itself, there may be all sorts of reasons a contract will refer to the EU. For example, in defining the territory of an agent or distributor or in a restrictive covenant following a business sale. Once the UK leaves the EU next March, the obvious question is whether these sorts of references should be interpreted to mean the territory of the EU at the time the contract was entered into, so that the UK is included, or the territory of the EU from time to time, so the UK is excluded. This is obviously an important potential issue, For instance, a restrictive covenant could become narrower in scope and so give less protection. As to how to address this potential problem, for new contracts, the obvious answer is to cover the point expressly. So don't just refer to the EU without making it clear whether that means the EU as constituted from time to time or as at the date of the agreement. 
And it's also worth pointing out that a similar issue arises when new member states join the EU, so it would be worth being clear on this point even if Brexit were not happening. For existing contracts, how a reference to the EU is interpreted will depend on the facts and circumstances of the individual contract. It could go either way, and the same term may well be interpreted differently in different contracts. So, for example, in the context of an ongoing distribution agreement, if the UK has always formed an important part of the distributor's operation, a court might readily conclude that the territory was not intended to change if the UK left the EU. And conversely, if the UK has never been an important part of the operation, then a court is likely to find that the term EU does not include the UK after exit day. If this is genuinely a matter of concern, it might be to a party's advantage to approach its counterparty now to try to agree a suitable clarification or amendment. And I should just say that these types of issue apply whether or not there is a Brexit deal in place. Thanks, Julie. You also mentioned references to EU legislation. Um, What do you mean by that? It's a similar situation, really. Where a contract refers to EU legislation which no longer applies to the UK following Brexit, questions may arise as to whether this means the relevant legislation as it existed at the time or any legislation enacted to replace it post-Brexit. This is also slightly complicated by the fact that there are two types of EU legislation. So first we have directly applicable legislation, which applies automatically under English law, without the need for any implementing UK legislation. So that's mainly treaty provisions and EU regulations. And secondly, we have legislation which is not directly applicable. This type of legislation needs to be implemented specifically by UK legislation. The main example here is EU directives. And you would typically expect a contract to refer to the UK legislation implementing the directive rather than to the directive itself. Given the uncertainty on this point, it's far better to include an express interpretation clause in contracts, which should cover all legislation, including EU legislation, and should either make it clear that the version of the legislation at the contract date will continue to apply, or alternatively, that any new version of the legislation as amended, reenacted, or replaced will apply. I should add that if there is a Brexit deal and a transitional period, this issue shouldn't arise until the end of the transitional period, as the EU legislation will continue to apply during the transition period by virtue of the EU Withdrawal Act. If there is no deal, it will become an issue next March. As we're still unsure whether there will be a transitional period at all, it makes sense to plan for this issue now. And what about references to EU legislation in existing contracts? Is there anything that can be done? Again, if it's a genuine concern, it may be sensible to approach your counterparty to agree a suitable clarification. And in addition to that, I should also add that there's been some commentary on whether the Interpretation Act 1978 has any relevance to this point. Um, Ironically, the Interpretation Act isn't the easiest piece of legislation to interpret, but the combined effect of some of its provisions, 
mean that a contractual reference to legislation that has been expressly repealed and reenacted is taken to be the reenacted version, subject to any contrary provision. But there is no such presumption where legislation is just amended rather than being repealed and reenacted. So I don't think it's going to be particularly helpful in the case of Brexit. Where a contract refers to directly applicable EU legislation, which no longer applies in the UK, such as treaty provisions or EU regulations, the Interpretation Act may not be relevant as the EU legislation has simply ceased to apply as a result of Brexit, rather than being expressly repealed. And where a contract refers to UK legislation which implements non-directly applicable EU legislation, so an EU directive, and which is amended post-Brexit, again there hasn't been a repeal and reenactment, so the Interpretation Act likely won't apply, and it will be up to ordinary principles of contractual interpretation to determine which version is meant. Thanks, Julie. Coming to you, Paul, looking beyond the interpretation of a contract's terms, we've previously discussed contracts which are currently compliant with EU and UK legislation, but which may be incompatible with such legislation after Brexit, and the possible need to amend these contracts to ensure that they are still compatible. Yes, that's right, Tom. It's simplest to illustrate this with an example. Broadly, um, the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, allows for the free flow of personal data between EU countries. When the UK exits the EU, unless the EU recognises the UK as an adequate jurisdiction at that point, then adequate arrangements will need to be put in place by a business wishing to transfer personal data from the EU to the UK. In practice, this means that an EU, and in certain circumstances a non-EU, based controller of personal data, ensuring that its contracts for the provision of personal data to a UK-based supplier. Firstly, acknowledges that the transfer may be a restricted transfer, and secondly, includes the EU standard contractual clauses or other adequate safeguards. This applies to both existing and new contracts. This will be less of an immediate concern if there's a deal and a transitional period is in place. In that situation, the UK will remain deemed as an adequate jurisdiction until the end of the transition, and one would hope that the EU will come to a decision that it can recognise the UK at some point during the transitional period negotiations. But if there is a no deal, then this will be an issue next March. This could also, in theory, be an issue where a UK-based controller of personal data provides personal data to an EU-based supplier. However, the UK government has helpfully confirmed in its recently released technical notice about the impact of a no-deal scenario on data protection that the UK would, even in a no-deal Brexit, unilaterally maintain the status quo on the free flow of personal data from the UK to the EU, albeit to be kept under review. This means, initially at least, that this issue is likely to be limited to the flow of personal data from an EU entity to a UK entity. And this is just an example. 
It underlines how important it is that contracting parties really think about what impact Brexit could have on their current arrangements, in particular if those arrangements have been designed to comply with particular pieces of EU legislation. Thanks, Paul. The other point we have spoken about before is what the impact on contracts will be where a company sets up a new branch or entity as part of its Brexit planning process. Would you please expand on some of the considerations that might apply in that scenario? That's right. Um, Businesses may be taking steps as part of their Brexit planning process to do things like establishing a new legal presence in the EU or the UK um, to obtain the required authorisations to continue to operate in the event of a no deal. In doing so, whether establishing a new legal presence or moving operations to a different entity there will be contractual consequences. So, for instance, moving a business from one regulatory environment to another will require a different regulator to approve a new suite of documents. Existing customer contracts may need to be migrated to a new entity, and the new entity will need to benefit from third-party services and supply arrangements, whether existing or new, such as IT services and so on. This is something that a number of our clients are grappling with and can impact a large number of contracts. These kinds of processes are now often called repapering projects. I won't get into repapering projects specifically now, as we're shortly going to release a podcast focusing solely on this topic, but I'd encourage people to listen to that podcast if they'd like more information. Julie, coming back to you. One point we haven't yet discussed is the possibility of introducing a Brexit clause into a contract to try to proactively address the possible consequences of Brexit. What would you say the key points are when considering something like this? Well, if a business is entering into a contract which will run until a date post-Brexit and that business has any concerns and may want to revisit its contractual arrangements when the UK leaves the EU the best course would be to include an express right to do so. And this is what we mean when we talk about a Brexit clause. And by post-Brexit, I mean either at the end of next March in the event of a no deal or at the end of the transition period in the event of a deal. Now, the key thing to be aware of here is that there is no standard Brexit clause. We're talking about a bespoke clause that reflects the particular contract and the agreement of the parties as as to what should happen. When drafting such a clause, the first challenge is to determine what the trigger should be, i.e. when does the clause kick in? Is it going to be when the UK leaves the EU? Is it at the end of any transition period? Or is it on some other Brexit-related trigger, such as the imposition of particular tariffs or other cost increases. That's the first consideration, really. And then the second challenge is that you're obviously going to need to spell out what the consequences are. Is it a simple right to terminate? Are you looking to vary particular provisions of the contract, such as amending the territory to include or exclude the UK? Are you going to include some price reopener or cost-sharing mechanism to deal with Brexit-related increases? Of course, whether any of this is advisable will, as ever, depend on the facts and circumstances. Thanks, Julie. Before we bring this podcast to an end, I'm going to ask you both for one tip that businesses should bear in mind when considering the impact of Brexit on their new and existing contracts. 
I'll start with you, Julie. Um, Thanks, Tom. I think it's really important to consider timing carefully. So where you've identified contract terms that may be affected by Brexit, the question of whether it might be to your advantage to approach your counterparty now to try to agree a suitable clarification or amendment can be quite tricky. Uh, In some circumstances, it may be better to raise the issue now, as it may be easier to reach agreement before matters have come to a head. And if there is going to be any difficulty, raising it well in advance gives additional time for the issue to be resolved. But on the other hand, raising the issue now might just be stirring up trouble needlessly and may lead to a dispute sooner than it otherwise would have occurred. That doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't do it. It may be inevitable that the dispute would have arisen anyway. It may, at times, be better to let sleeping dogs lie. It's just going to be a judgment call in any given situation. Perhaps it's obvious, but contracts can be integral to business continuity. So shouldn't be hived off in isolation for a Brexit or risk committee to look at. Lawyers sitting down on their own, trying to think of issues, can only get you so far. It's important to understand what's happening at the granular level in the business and to make sure it's joined up with the business operationally and strategically. Thank you very much for your time, Julie and Paul. I'd say the overall message is that you should always consider the impact of Brexit when dealing with contracts. When reviewing an existing contract or drafting a new contract, even if the contract term has expired or if the contract has been performed prior to Brexit, there are still reasons to consider the impact of Brexit. For example, if there are any provisions which have a continuing effect, such as restrictive covenants, or if there's a need to enforce a contract post-Brexit, it's important to keep Brexit in mind. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.